Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 74 and I am very glad that you're here. How are you, Benny? Good. How are you? Good. Excellent, actually. That's good. Today I talk with Janelle Burley Hoffman and I loved this conversation. Very good. Why? Uh, We talk about the slow tech movement and one of our readers actually put me in touch with Janelle and as soon as I went to her website, like this woman is your person. Yeah, she's my people. Your people. She's my your people. person. <laughs> <laughs> she is my people because she's all about, you know, a, living with technology in an intentional, uh, mindful way as opposed to the mindless kind of consumption of, of media and tech that we so often slip into. And she talks about it both from the perspective of a, a, as a mum, but also as a professional person. So it's really it was such a great conversation. I could have talked to her for a long time. So is she a consultant or something? Yeah, she works. She's a coach and yeah. she's an author. She wrote a book called uh, "I Rules: What Every Tech Healthy Family Needs to Know About Selfies, Sexting, Gaming, and Growing Up." Right. And uh, there's a link to that in the show notes, uh, which is slowyourhome.com/slash seventy-four. But she works directly with families and she works with schools in trying to encourage people to create like a, a framework yeah. of a healthy way of, of dealing with tech. Because the thing that I found really wonderful is that she's not anti-tech at all. You know, and she makes the point really early in our conversation that without the technology that we have, she and I wouldn't be able to have that conversation. Yeah. And I wouldn't have a job. I wouldn't be, pod- you know what I mean? So right. I think that's one of the big things that people struggle with when they start to look into this idea of slow and simple living. A lot of people see technology as the antithesis of that. And it doesn't have to be, you know, we can engage with tech really mindfully and enjoy the benefits of it, but we also need to learn boundaries and, you know, step back and remember to connect with the real world. And I think that's where a lot of the problems that people are are having come from. They're constantly connected, but they're constantly connected to their devices. Uh, And Janelle is very similar to us in that she really encourages people to get outside and have face-to-face conversations. Conversations. No, you know, no tech at the dinner table and all that kind of stuff. So um, in the conversation with Janelle, I talk a little bit about our tech rules, but I thought What's it might be... What's our tech rules? Well, we have a few for the family, yeah. particularly for the kids. I only know the kids ones. Well, I think... But we're pretty good at, at boundaries. Like, we don't have phones mm. at the table or anything no. like that. I feel like I can do a lot better. That's why I think one of our challenges or ex, um, experiments for the months coming up should be around... Screens. Yeah, I'd like. I'd love We've to do that. We've spoken about it. We should. Well, we were it. going to do it at the beginning of the year, but when you just start a business, it's not the yeah. best time to to kind of tap out for twelve hours a day. Oh, sorry. So, what are our our eye rules? Our eye rules. Well, the, for the kids specifically, there's no TV in the mornings at all, which is fine. There was resistance for like a day when mm-hmm. that first came in, but they play now. Yeah. They play for an hour in the yeah, morning. It's, it's lovely. You know, they do their homework in the mornings. Uh, and then coming home, there's no TV in the afternoons until five o'clock. Why five o'clock? Uh, well, partly because it gives them a couple of hours to play. They play outside. They have afternoon tea. They do some homework. They do some reading. And then five o'clock, they're usually getting tired. Yeah, they're pretty exhausted by then. And that's when I start getting dinner that's ready. That's when dinner's... And yeah, I, so I don't mind that. Yeah. You know, they don't watch crappy commercial tv they'll just watch like abc or something like that um look at us no no but it's just <laughs> i hate i hate the impact that ads have yeah. on kids TV. Well, that's true actually that's a big thing for me and i've loved that the kids don't watch tv with ads anymore because they don't yeah. know half the junky toys that are around that's and, so true that's such a huge thing yeah it, it yeah. just stops the pester power yeah uh, and the kids both have ipads um, and that is mainly because they both wanted iPads, but they we we didn't buy them an iPad. They saved their birthday and Christmas money for about eighteen months each to buy those. So they are not no they're not no, on their iPads at no. all during the week. No, they're just on the weekends. Just on the weekends. Yeah. And it's interesting. I really thought that those rules would be tough to adhere to because there'd be lots of complaining. There was probably three days of you know why like that's not fair. Why mm. can't we? Yeah. And pretty soon they 
just stopped asking. They did. It wasn't problematic at all. The only time that I've ever had pushback was with our daughter. And she's like, but you're allowed on your phone, your Mm -hmm. screen. Yeah. So I made her a deal that in the mornings I'm not on my phone. And I'm not like I, I I get up before the kids, so I'll do things on screens. I'll be connected before then. Yeah. Like I meditate, meditate using, using the phone. Yeah, um, I'll flick through social media and stuff like that. But in the mornings, when I'm getting lunches, when we're having breakfast, all that kind of stuff, I'm not on my phone. No, and that has helped immensely. So I think, yeah, yeah, it's it's a big weight off actually. And then when they do watch a movie or they do get on their iPads and play games, I don't feel bad. No, exactly. I have no issue with it at all because it's, it's not like a common everyday regular thing, but rather, a, you know, they're learning, they're engaging. I will say they do have to get on the computer sometimes to do homework. Homework. That's true. But with their maths, that's it. Stuff. Like mathletics, or mathletics. Whatever it's uh, yeah, I agree. And I speak to a lot of people in regards to this, um, particularly a lot of dads, and they—it's the same thing for them. It's this is pretty common to have screen-free weekdays. Yeah, uh, especially with iPads and, and that sort of thing. So it's not as if we're pretty severe with our. Oh, I don't think no, so. No, I think it's. I think it's pretty. Yeah, common. I think, and I, I don't think the specifics of it are the most important part. And Janelle and I talk about this in the conversation, but it's more being consistent. So whatever the rules are, whatever fits with your family or your household, that's fine. You know, it's the in, it, it's intentionally going in and asking yourself some questions, and Janelle walks through that process, which yeah. is really helpful, yeah, for, particularly for people who are struggling to find what those boundaries should be. And then it's just a matter of working out what works for you and the ages of the people who live at your home and what you do for work and all that kind of stuff and then sticking to it. And I think there's no – and I've, I say this about everything with slow living. Yeah. There's no right no. or wrong. Yeah. There's what works for you. And I think it's as, as long as you're being intentional, intentional. about it and choosing, yeah. choosing your reasons and the benefits that you want to gain by staying off – screens for longer or you know more consistently for us it's i want my kids to play outside and that's a big thing for us like we don't have a lot of activities on the afternoons so playing outdoors is huge really important yeah and imaginative play and you know getting playing with their toys and that sort of stuff because otherwise hours just go Mm. when they're when they're on a we're pretty passionate about this topic oh look and i think it's because of how we grew up as well yeah i mean i was it was Every afternoon at home, I was just outside playing with the dog or digging in the dirt or, you know, making up games or playing in the cubby house, all that kind of stuff. So I um, like I am passionate about the kids having the opportunity to just be kids and to do that in like a very real world way. Yeah. So anyway, I think this – hopefully this will be a thought-provoking conversation. Janelle's got heaps of really, really practical – tips as well and her website which is janelle with two l's burley hoffman with two n's.com i will um, uh, <laughs> i'll link to that in the show nice. notes but she has a whole heap of really helpful information she's also written the slow tech manifesto which is not just about kids it's just about how all of us can embrace technology in a, in a much healthier kind of way i would highly recommend you you check that out as well slowyourhome.com slash 74 for those show notes. This is episode number 74 with Janelle Burley-Hoffman. Enjoy. Oh, hello, it's me again. Um, This episode has some dodgy audio and I am just popping in to apologize for that. Uh, There is a, a slight chance that as a professional podcaster, I didn't have my microphone turned on so it's picked up on my internal mic on the laptop instead it's perfectly listenable and you know hopefully fine and enjoyable because it's such a great conversation but I just wanted to let you know that maybe it doesn't sound quite as uh, as clear and lovely as as it normally does which is all Ben's wonderful editorial doing anyway but uh, yeah I apologize and enjoy the show
Hi, Janelle. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Really, really well. Uh, thank you so much for, for agreeing to sit and chat with me. And, you know, we only kind of connected a couple of days ago, but I appreciate that you've got time to sit down and talk to me about, about uh, you know, slow tech and things. Um, so, I mean, look, I, I, I've got so much that I want to talk to you about. So I think I might just dive in if that's okay. Um, yeah, go. let's go for it. Awesome. <laughs> I always, like, I've got to say, my introductions are probably the weakest part of my podcast. So I'm always kind of awkward and, like, you know, ham-fisted. So um, I think one of <laughs> my listeners are used to it. It's fine. <laughs> I, one of the things I think that so many people who listen to podcasts struggle with is the issue of technology. Um, you know, it's it's everywhere. Everyone is connected to some extent, and that's the way of the world, you know. But when we, we try to slow down, we try to live a more intentional, mindful, you know, authentic life, technology starts to become this obstacle. But when it's so enmeshed in the way that we we live and the, the things that we do and the work that we do it can become a real kind of catch-22 situation uh, and that's one of the the big things that I wanted to talk to you today is about how to engage with technology but then also kind of keep it at the distance that it, it requires rather than let it become this over all-encompassing kind of you know element to our lives so you've written a book Eye rules, uh, which is fantastic, and I'll include a link to the show notes to that in the show notes. But you've also written um, the Slow Tech Manifesto, which I highly recommend everyone check out. Can you tell us what you mean by slow tech? First of all, absolutely. So this this idea of slow tech is thinking about technology with intention and with mindfulness. So it doesn't mean no tech Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean a bad connection to our technology um, because people hear slow tech and think, wait, I want high speed internet. And I, you know, I want (laughs) all the data I can have. And it's, it's not even anti-tech. So, so the platform really supports a healthy relationship to technology and with that, we're really thinking about what that means for us individually, um, as professionals, as people, and then also, you know, as a family system or a greater community. And, and so when we think about slow, we think about the ideas of process and being deliberate about the technology. So, you know, there's no question technology is going to be part of our lives and part of societies right now. And we, we celebrate that. That's really exciting. Just what we're doing right now, having this conversation you're in Australia, I'm in the US, and we can connect and share our thoughts and ideas. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. We could, we could sit here for our time together and list all of the fantastic things about technology. So it's not about should we or shouldn't we have it. It's more about how do we want it in mm-hmm. our lives and getting us to rethink that we have a choice in how we introduce it and how we integrate it into our everyday right, I, And I think that's such an important point because so often when people hear me talk about slow living you know they think that it kind of is it equates to going back in time and giving up the technology and the advancements that we we enjoy and that we benefit from and that's what I love about what you what you talk about and write about it's about engaging with it in a healthy way and putting it in its place and using it but then not becoming entirely reliant on it and you know having an unhealthy relationship with technology so I think that that's something that I think people listening will feel relieved about as well because it's not an anti-technology kind of stance. It's a, a healthy technology stance. Exactly, like celebrating the ways that it can enhance our lives or even deepen our relationships and our knowledge and make things more convenient. You know, all of those things are are great. So where where do we fall in line? And this might be different for all of us because we all might have a different tolerance for the technology. You know, our children certainly will have different tech tendencies and how they interact, just like they have different appetites and different behavioral tendencies. They'll have those same things with the screen too. So, you know, we have to consider all of those things. And and sometimes families will say to me, Janelle, this sounds like you're asking me to do a lot of work. But I think that is the call to action here, right? Is like doing the work to think about 
so we're not struggling. So we're not having so many arguments. So we're not feeling overtaken by the technology. And we're not feeling like we have any space for creative, imaginative play and interaction and conversation. So it's actually a gift that we think about how we want the technology. And it's not a punishment. And so, so a lot of times, yeah, like you're saying, flip that idea on its head and think of this as a great privilege to have the choice about how we want the technology. Absolutely. And we are so, so incredibly fortunate to be in that position. And I I love what you just said there about doing the work. You know, we sit down, we Mm -hmm. we do the work, we work out our, like what our family values are, what our personal approach to technology and what our personal appetite and, you know, capability of dealing with technology is. And we establish boundaries and we, understand why we're doing that so that when you know when when the when the the motivation or the novelty of it wears away and we go to shift back into old habits we have we have those boundaries there you know and we don't have to fall back on willpower all the time but we understand that we are creating space for ourselves to be creative to be outside to connect face to face to have downtime to read a book you know all those things that technology can sometimes take away from us if we mindlessly interact with it constantly yeah, I think we've all been in that scenario where we think, okay, I'm just going to scroll through my social media Absolutely. for you know, 20 minutes or so. And then it's like 90 minutes later and our, you know, our kids are like, hey, is, is this happening? Are you ready? Can you help me now? Or your, your work has been neglected or you know, just the time's gotten away. So I think the first kind of order of business is really that raising our awareness about how is the technology currently in our lives and what's working and what isn't. You know, this kind of evaluation on um, person-to-person basis in our homes. Well, exactly, you know, and I think people so often are aware of the fact that it's an issue. You know, they might – I've often had people ask me about reducing screen time for kids because it's affecting their behaviour and things like that or they're not spending time together as a family or, you know, they sit down for dinner and everyone's on their individual screens and people recognise that that's a problem but then there's also this kind of fear of how to – trim that back, particularly with with kids, I think. But I think if adults are being honest with themselves, it's also something that we struggle with too because it means that we have to do other things or be with our thoughts, you know. And and so often I think, and I myself have been guilty of this hundreds of times, you use it as a distraction as well. It stops you from thinking. Absolutely. And it is a source of comfort, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can just even the things we celebrate like listening to podcasts. You know, so it's, you know, always, we're always consuming uh, ideas and thoughts. And um, my friend and colleague, David Ryan Polger, calls it mental obesity, right? That Mm. we're just taking in so much content and so much information and so much interaction that it's really important for creative problem solving and our own development as adults and as professionals that we are giving ourselves some space without being connected and really consuming. Because if you're a social person, a curious person, somebody that likes to engage and have information, all of those things are are fabulous. The internet brings that right to you, but it can become really overwhelming. And a lot of the clients that I work with as adults, they're, they're feeling like there's never a beginning or an end to their day, that they're just picking up right where they left off and not really having that shut down and then come back to life piece mm. that, that we used to have a generation or even, you know, five or 10 years ago where we could have the ritual of a work day. That's, and uh, that's a massive, massive thing. I mean, I think even, like since I was at, at high school, you know, I didn't have a computer at home until I was probably 18 years old. So there was just that separation, you know, and smartphones were only a few years into uh, into our generation and we are all attached to them constantly. You know, we carry them in our pockets or in our handbags and they, they're just constantly with us. So I think that's um, that's a vital thing to understand that we so often don't feel like there's a beginning or end to our day. You know, we use our phones as our alarm clock in the morning. We get up and first thing so many of us do is check our email or check our social media or scroll through Instagram, you know, and it's on from then all the way through. So I guess my first question is how like people people have an awareness, they understand that maybe tech is having too much of an impact or, or taking up too much of their day. 
how do you first start to, to kind of negotiate with the idea of, of stepping back a little and, and maybe creating your own rules or your own boundaries? Yeah. So I think we, we can initially say, you know, I think we always have this idea of like, this feels like it might be too much or this feels great and kind of doing this, this personal assessment before we even think about our families and think about our, you know, our relationships, we have to really think about ourselves. And this is something that has to really be ongoing because I know with my work schedule, if I should have an international trip, um, you know, I, I'm on my phone a little bit more when I'm away from home because it's usually just me and I'm staying in hotels and I'm, you know, keeping in touch with my children and, and I'm in airports. And so I feel a little bit like it, my, my device is my travel companion. So sometimes new habits will form that I'll need to come back from a trip and really reassess mm -hmm. how I'm going to integrate back into, you know, my home work life and with my device. So, so thinking about um, different, different times and knowing that all of these decisions we make can be fluid and they can change based on our needs and our, and our situation. And then asking ourselves, like kind of, I, I think... The big three for me around building boundaries are sleep, mm -hmm. you know, really, again, as adults, thinking about protecting our sleep. And we're seeing so much research, um, you know, Ariana Huffington's book, The, the Sleep Revolution, that's just jam-packed with ideas and data about the value of a good night's sleep yeah. and all of, the, all of the ways it can enhance life. So really working to make sure that if we have to have our device by our bed, that it's not interrupting our sleep, you know, that it's, the screen isn't glowing, and that I think it's critical, and I've really had to kind of make this habit myself, to wake up and start a day without exactly what you're saying, which is, you know, reaching for the device before our eyes are even open mm -hmm. and just taking a few minutes to just kind of welcome the day. Ideally, we take that first hour you know, have our coffee, go for our exercise, maybe interact with the people in our homes without the phone being um, a barrier. But we have to maybe take, some of us will have to take baby steps towards that. But I, I think that's a nice goal to have. And so really working to protect sleep, because I think that's just so connected to our concentration and our rest and how well we feel and our energy levels. And after sleep, I would say that eating Mm -hmm. And meals are a place, just mindfulness alone, mindful eating. You know, we all know that we eat much more or much more absentmindedly if we're looking at a screen and eating. And so that's if we're alone. But if we're eating with others, you know, especially modeling for our, for our children or, you know, out with our group of girlfriends or on a date with our spouse, that, you know, just that presence alone is so vital while sharing food. So I think setting up boundaries around mealtime and around eating is is really critical. And then the third thing would be protecting relationships, IRL or in real life, <laughs> that the humans we're with in person come before the humans on our devices. And so I think if that's our kind of our starter, then I think that we'll really make some those sound like small habits, but they're actually life-changing shifts um, that, that anybody can do regardless of our age and stage in life. I mean, I, I think they're, they're enormous. Like if, if, we, if we each were really honest with ourselves in how those three areas of life were being impacted by technology, I mean, we could say in a state of semi-denial, oh, look, I don't let it impact my in-person in, like, in relationships. But then we study our behavior over a period of 24 hours or a week and think about how many times we've pulled out our phone when we're talking to our kids or, you know, we've scrolled through something when we were waiting to, you know, to get a response from somebody or, you know, we have woken up with our, our phones as our alarms and just had a little sneak at email and 10 minutes later then we get up. Like, those things... Like you say, they don't feel big. But if we were really honest with ourselves, all three areas of our lives could very easily be impacted by technology. And I like what you said before about it creating a barrier. You know, you wake up in the morning and if you're on your phone, that's a barrier. That's an immediate barrier. And even if you believe that you're present, it's not possible to be present 
with your family or your partner while you're having coffee in the morning if you're on your phone. It's just, it, you, it go, it, that's not the definition of being present in the moment. You know, we split between two two things that are vying for our attention. So I really like that idea of it creating a barrier. And I think if we use language like that, it can start to feel like we're creating a barrier and we can start to be more aware of the impact it's having. Absolutely. I totally agree. And we we think of it, you know, one of the things that I like to do, so I have five children and they're eight, 10, 11, 13, and 16. And so when I have, um, a behavior I want to change or shift a little bit, or I want to be a little more mindful. The first thing I do is let them know that I'm trying to make that shift <laughs> and they totally will hold me accountable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, the, you know, so I'll say, okay, I'm trying to wake up and, you know, say good morning to you and be present without looking at my phone. And that can be a challenge. So we put it on do not disturb or I'll put it in the other room and they'll really say like, hey, mom, remember? And, and it's such a nice kind of reminder because so many families, I work with a lot of families, a lot of young people, and young people will tell me, you know, okay, Janelle, yeah, I, I think I can try to make better habits or use my device, you know, not until the middle of the night, but how do I tell my dad to put his phone away at mm. dinner? So our young people are really noticing this, and it's not another reason to make parents feel ashamed or bad or that they're not being perfect, because that's definitely not the goal. But what we really want is just to allow some opportunities to be to be present, to give our full attention. And that could be to our kids, and that's fine, but it could be to ourselves or to our partner or just to wake up and take a few deep breaths before we you know, dig into our work emails, which <laughs> the exciting part is if at 8 a.m., they're still in the inbox. They don't disappear if you don't look at them right away, you know? So so we don't have to worry about this FOMO, you know, this fear of missing out, that everything is still on the internet as it was if we give ourselves a little time. So, so some of these things um, can become part of family and life, part of the culture that you want to bring to your everyday. I also think that there's a generational thing at play here I mean I'm sure you if if this is the case you would have seen it but our generation you know we're we're bringing up families now we we're we're, like I said before you know our first 15 20 years of life were not tech heavy and tech reliant and now we're just we've got to learn to negotiate how to live with this technology whereas our kids generation it's always been there and I wonder whether or not that's sort of Part of the reason, which is actually the opposite to what people were saying about our kids' generation coming through and just being constantly attached to it, I think that they're probably not as full of that FOMO and that, you know, that fear that adults have. I mean, do you find that? Yeah, I'm actually, this is such a great point that you're bringing up because I actually hear from young people and not just in my own house, but in my work that they have a better sense of what balance is. Now, mm. the other flip side of that is some parents will say that's absolutely not true. My kids are, you know, on the video game, sneaking the screens. So, so of course, we have to acknowledge that there is absolutely overuse um, in, in the lives of young people. But I think that young people do want that balance um, more than ever. And so they're wanting to have the attention of the people that care about them. They're, they're telling me that they like to have rules and boundaries. And, and parents will say, seriously? And they don't see it as a punishment. They see it as, as a reward that somebody is saying, you know what? It's really time to put your device away for the night and get a good night's sleep. Or I care enough about you to have all devices away from the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes if we visit grandparents, everyone's going to leave their device at home or in the car. And this feels good and comforting and safe to kids. So certainly, like you were saying, the, the willpower for a 10-year-old <laughs> to put away a screen on his or her own can be overwhelming. But when that boundary is set by people who love and care for them, they actually enjoy uh, knowing that there's an, a boundary and a limit to what they can and can't do. Mm. I, I just find that, that fascinating because, you know, we would, we would believe the opposite to be true. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's actually really a, a, a positive thing to hear that, that kids are looking for those boundaries. They're looking for that balance. And I think that it's our generation who are 
struggling to find it, you know, and, and of course that's partly because of where our generation sits in terms of work and things like that. But um, going back to what you were saying about the, your kids being some of your your best kind of defense against backsliding, and my, it's the exact same in, in my house. This year we've had a, um, a new kind of rule put in place that there's no screens at all in the morning and the kids were never on their screens at all in the mornings anyway, but it was me on my phone. And I said yeah. to my daughter, who's seven, said, so, you know, there's no screens for you and there's no screens for me as well before I dropped them off at school. And the other morning I was, I was quite honestly just listening to music and she came in, mum, what are you doing on your phone? Just putting on some music. I'm just putting on some music. She said, oh, good, because if, if not, then there would have been some consequences. <laughs> and they're, like, they're amazing, you know, and they really run with it. And I kind of couched it as this idea of an experiment, you know, particularly when I first introduced it to them. And they love the idea of an experiment and let's just see how we feel. Let's see what the behavior is like and let's see if our mornings aren't as stressful and our mornings weren't as stressful and everyone was where they needed to be in plenty of time. And I just, I loved how quickly they adapted to that change that I thought was going to be a really kind of difficult one. And as a result, you know, we've extended it and extended it over the period of the week now as well. And we've, we've kind of, got these different rules in place and and they're working incredibly well but I think kids are you can you can kind of bring them in as your ally I think yeah I totally agree I think this idea of a family experiment or a family challenge is just I think it's exciting to them that every because I think we're we have that in common with our kids right now which is another great tool is this is a place where we can really relate and say to our kids I understand what it's like to always want to look at your device and I understand you know that you feel like you need to get back to that person the second that they text you mm. or that you can't leave this game because you know something might happen to the people in the video game and you know I get what that feels like but I'm okay and you're going to be okay too if we don't have this. And I and I feel like there's a lot of personal empowerment that we can give our kids, showing them just a little bit of space from the immediacy and the constant interaction on our devices. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, do you see a shift in behavior as well as as children and, and entire families sort of loosen their grip on technology do you see um you know a positive shift in in behavior and just you know interaction i definitely think that kids do very well when the boundaries are clear and upfront and kind of this proactive instead of reactive right so it we all do much better when we say here are the expectations this is what it's going to look like instead of just being fed up and ripping ripping an ipad out of our child's hands, right? Mm -hmm. That's just, that's sometimes there's struggle and sometimes there's going to be issues, but it does seem to be when it's consistent too. I think that's the other part of it is that sometimes families will have rules or boundaries that one day they're in place, the next day they can be negotiated. One day they're, you know, you can get 20 minutes on your screen. Another day you can get two hours on your screen. Mm -hmm. Another day there's no screens at all. And I think that can really give a child a child a sense of what's going to be expected of me is confusing. So I think the more we can be just clear, concise, upfront and then willing to allow our child a little discomfort and they might not like it, right? Like we wouldn't like it if we're looking at our screens and someone just said, "Okay, everything shuts down." We'd probably have an emotional reaction to that too. And so understanding that, you know, the more we can do outside of the moment, the more conversations we can have when it's, the emotions aren't so high, um, I think the, the more success we'll have around the technology. Because I just think kids assume that their parents hate the technology, resent the technology, but also they're seeing their parents overuse the technology. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it can be often confusing to them. So, so I really think just that clarity, that consistency, being upfront about it is is the best uh, opportunity for better behavior around mm. the technology. All right, which goes back to what you you were talking about at the beginning of our conversation, where you said it's it's about doing the work and sitting down and putting, you know, putting asking the questions and and putting on paper or uh, you know sitting down with your your kids and discussing what the boundaries are, and I guess creating your own 
set of rules for the way you each interact with technology. Um, may, so in the book, which is called I Rules, I mean, you encourage people to create their own set of rules. What do you suggest people begin with when they're, if they're trying to negotiate with their kids or, you know, a much less kind of heavy screen time in the home? Or how, how do you suggest that people start that, that process? Sure. So this also comes back to that that slow tech idea, which requires some thought mm. and requires us to think about what we want before we really take any action or make any changes. So, so I recommend that families think about um, what's working and what isn't and make a list. So without the kids at first, just think, you know, okay, they do their homework really well with their screens, but they they struggle to shut their screen off at bedtime or, you know, so all of our kids might at different ages and stages, but thinking about it relative to them. And then talking about it with the people that are helping us raise our kids, whether it's, you know, childcare or spouse or, um, you know, grandparents, anything like this, and kind of saying, what are you seeing? What's on your mind? What would you like to see change? Mm. And then really thinking about where we want the conversation to go, maybe choosing four or five non-negotiables that you want to get to with your child. And then I suggest sitting down with that particular child or as a whole family and having a tech talk. So a tech talk is really intentional conversation with our children about the technology. So this is not done while we're doing the carpool or over a chaotic dinner. This is kind of like a family meeting setup that we've scheduled. So there's, you know, no devices present that everybody's full attention is there and they know what the topic is going to be. So they're not blindsided and addressing, you know, that, you know, want to see some changes. You want to set some boundaries, you know, here's some things that are going well and here are some places we need to make some modifications And one of the most common things I hear from families is, you know, oh, it's too late. You know, I have a Mm 15-year-old. We've already established so many bad habits. Or, you know, my husband or my wife is totally heads down. They'll never change. It's not worth it. But I want to remind families that it's never too late to say, I care enough about you to have these conversations. And and then really um, having some conversations around what feels important to you. So thinking about your values, thinking about what guides your family and what feels important to you. Like in my house, I really value play. And so I'm going to set up some boundaries to make sure that my kids are still having physical play, Mm. creative play, imaginative play. And so also responsibility that they're doing their chores, that they're, you know, contributing to the family system. So our boundaries are going to protect those things. And certainly other families might have other boundaries and other things that feel important to them based on their foundational values. But knowing those things, coming into the conversation, and so that even if the technology completely changes, that those cornerstones really stay consistent throughout our parenting and as our kids you know, grow up and use and interact with different technology. So I think that initial tech talk can really we can start to get together some I rules, which is a set of tech agreements or tech boundaries around how we want the technology um, to look. Mm -hmm. And so then the other work that comes with that is that we need to enforce this and we need to reflect on our own behavior and what we're modeling and how we might want to make some changes too. And so it sounds a little dry. It doesn't sound like much fun, but I think, I think it can be because First of all, it's practicing communication, which is which is critical to any family. And it's also taking the time, which is a big part of this whole slow tech idea, is that it, t- it takes time and we're giving it thought and we're bringing back some of the process. And technology, you know, just it arrived so suddenly and it was in all of our lives. It's in our kids' schools. It's in our work life. Um, you know, we love the portability of being able to work from everywhere and having a little more flexibility. But we're, we're thinking about just because we can work all the time doesn't mean that we should. Just because yeah. we can connect all the time doesn't mean that we should. So it's a chance for us to reassess um, our, our family's mission and where we want to go with our family. So that can be with a two-year-old or that can be you know, with a 16-year-old and saying, where are we now and where do we want to go? And I think the technology is allowing us that pause and that opportunity. Yeah, and I think 
that I mean that that process is applicable, like you say, for a family with really young children or a family with teenagers. I mean, the challenges of of bringing it in and and talking about it and negotiating what that looks like will be different between a two year old and a sixteen year old. But I, I think it would absolutely still apply to to anyone, regardless of what your household looks like. Um, I, I love the idea of bringing it back to your family's values, I think. And I often talk about when people are starting to slow down and simplify to really take the time to work out your why, you know, your foundation, the things that you value, because when you've got those things in place, it's so much easier to make decisions when you're looking at that that roadmap or that foundation, the decisions might not be easier, but they're, they're simpler, you know, because you're you're heading in the direction of those things that are important. And I find that once you have those things in place, and they do shift and change over time, of course, but they allow you to to kind of stick to the stick to the boundaries, even on those days where it would be easier to say no or to not to not bother with it. Um, and yeah, and I find, I found the same thing as over the last 12 months was we've gotten a lot more intentional with technology in our house. It hasn't been as difficult as I thought, I think because we have that why in place, you know, and we're, we're, we're looking at the bigger picture when sometimes it's easier to focus on the immediate behavior in front of us and what, what would, you know, placate that. And yeah, I find having that why in place is really helpful. Yeah, I love the way you said that. I think that makes so much sense. Is and I think I think kids can really relate to that because it's not just a, I'm doing this to punish you or I'm doing this because I want to control you. You know, it's saying I'm doing this on your behalf. Yes, and what a gift that is. Yeah, and I think that's right. You know, kids actually do respond to the idea of a bigger picture much more than we maybe think that they will. We use the same sort of process, I guess, when the kids ask for a toy or something like that. You know, um, we often talk about how we're saving our money for like a trip or a, you know, a big experience or something, you know, that, that they can look forward to. And when they can see that one choice means that the other choice won't happen or the other, the other option won't happen, I think they do understand that. And it's interesting that, you know, I guess if you can present it in a similar way with the technology and why it benefits them and why it benefits the family, I think kids do receive that kind of stuff quite well. Yeah, I think they understand, okay, our, our family is trying to have this certain sense of well-being. So mm-hmm. that might be the technology, that might be exercise and play and, you know, being outdoors, that might be nutrition, that might be sleep, that might be how we treat other people. So yeah, there's all, this might be how we spend our money. So yeah, thinking about it as just another component, another spoke on the wheel of things to consider in the modern day family. Yeah. No, I think that's it. And I, I still maintain that <laughs> our, our generation, our kids' generation rather, is just going to blow us out of the water in terms of, um, you know, adopting that much more balanced worldview. Um, I mean, I already learned from my kids and as you already mentioned, they're really, really quick at keeping us on our toes. Yeah, I, and I agree. We're our generation of parents, we're trailblazers, right? There wasn't a generation ahead of us that said, okay, when's the right age for a child to go on Instagram? And, you know, I mean, we're really writing the rules, literally I am, and um, figuratively of what works for us as families and individuals, you know, because I think that has to come first, but then that of course impacts greater society. And this is a really a global conversation, obviously what we're doing right here, you know, across the world, but this conversation is happening across all socioeconomics, cultures, religions, mm-hmm. countries, ages of kids, you know, ages of users. And so I actually think that this is one of the conversations uniting us in a lot of ways because we have this very thing in common where the technology is is brand new and we're all trying to find best practices. And I couldn't agree more that I think our young people are helping us move towards those best practices. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the other thing that, that I've found really, uh, it's just a, a lovely thing to do with, with our kids is to talk about what we can do instead as well. You know, in the afternoons, they probably used to watch TV when they'd get home from school and they don't do that anymore. So what can we do instead? You know, and we sat down and we talked about the things that they enjoy doing. We go for a bushwalk or play outside in the backyard and jump on the trampoline, do some art. And, you know, I think that's 
for us that's been an important part of the process too what do we what can we do instead what does this time allow us to do do you find that that can be a helpful way to kind of continue the conversation when you ask family members what would you like to do instead yeah I think that's a beautiful example of you know the technology the screens whether it's television or portable screens it can become an automatic Mm -hmm. you just you know you kind of get in different habits or you want to check in with maybe your peers or something like that and it it can become your whole afternoon. But I think, yeah, saying to them, okay, so I know that you love your screens and acknowledging that. So the screens will be there. They're not going anywhere. But while the sun is still up, um, what are some things that you want to do or what are some things that we could plan? And not that we have to necessarily be the, the camp counselor every single day creating this perfect environment, but you know, really reminding them that there are other options and we do have choices and that they enjoy plenty of other things. And and I always say that when I set that boundary for after school that everybody needs to go out and play, Mm. it might, they might be disappointed or that they might initially think that I'm, you know, I'm being met with resistance because of it. But within a few minutes, they're very happily doing the next activity. So it doesn't last very long. And I, and I think they might be nudgy about it or say, you know, oh, this or that, that it isn't fair. But I think overall they really enjoy having that boundary so that they can do other things. Exactly. And, you know, and, and there's worse things for kids to complain about other than saying that they're bored because what I've yeah. found is that, you know, oh, I'm bored. It's boring outside. You go outside, you spend five minutes, you see what you can discover and guaranteed within two or three minutes that, you know, playing on the swings or playing in the cubby house or, you know, it's not about, you're right, it's not about as a parent you stepping in and filling that time for your kids but rather them being equipped to entertain themselves as well. In And I'm, I'm really similar to you that play, particularly outdoor play, is incredibly important. Uh, you know, and that was how I was brought up and I valued it so much. So I'm the same with our kids, but they will find something to entertain themselves, be it, you know, a mud pie or uh, climbing a tree or, you know, some, just an imaginative game or playing dress ups. Like they, kids are phenomenal, I, I think, and we need to give them the time and the space to rediscover what it is to be bored and then to, to find something to do. And it might take practice, yes. you know, I think if, if it hasn't been part of our lifestyle or we've gotten, you know, there are, there are some times in a family that, you know, like you were saying that it can get screen heavy, just you fall into new patterns and you, you need to come out of that. Mm-hmm. So not to give up on this idea that every day might feel a little bit like a struggle, but once we get used to it and the kids get accustomed to going back outside or to, you know, not having someone lead all of their play, but they get to direct what teams for, you know, the football or who's going to be the one to play chase or use the swing first or any of those things that we continue to believe in our kids and believe in their ability to, to play and interact and to come up with something on their own, or even if that just means sitting quietly for a little bit or finding a book or coloring or going for, you know, a walk, all of these things um, might take a little bit of time and for families not to give up Mm. on going slow in, in a world that is just saying you need the stimulation all the time and your kids need the stimulation, but coming back and reminding ourselves first, because we have to feel empowered for that and we have to be practicing that. And modeling that and then also believing that our kids can do that. Exactly. You know, and I think one of the things that I had to realize and, and, you know, work to kind of improve upon was if my kids were just sitting happily, quietly, not Mm. doing anything, you know, they just weren't doing it, but they're in their heads, who knows what's going on. They're probably living in some wonderful imaginary world, but they're happy. We don't need to offer them any stimulation in that moment. Like it's, it's wonderful that kids can still just sit and be and get lost in their thoughts. And I think particularly when the kids were a bit younger, I worried that I wasn't doing enough to stimulate them. Um, and I think that's a, that's something that we, we do worry about. We worry that we're not doing a good enough job to offer them the opportunity to, you know, grow and thrive and, just by letting them be, that's exactly what we're doing. 
yeah, it's such a gift to be able to even recognize that because I can absolutely relate to that. You know, we were just constantly in motion Mm -hmm. before and, you know, seeing them be busy or I would take them to one park to the other park, you know, and just realizing that it didn't need to be, even though we were doing things that I felt were important, we were still moving at a very fast pace that we were just moving through activities very quickly or we moving through, you know, scheduling them and doing that kind of stuff. And, and when you take that step back and realize what a gift it is to let them just be, or let them direct the kind of play they want and let them feel safe in that Mm. it is, um, I think it can be really beautiful. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, I I think, and, but as an adult, I really enjoy that. And I think the realization came to me when I, I recognized that as a child, I was often left to my own devices in a mm-hmm. good way, you know, and yes. I don't look back on that with anything other than positivity. And then I realized that there was a disconnect between the way I was parenting and the way that I grew up as a really happy, well-adjusted child, uh, you know, and I, for some reason over time it had taken on this this kind of uh, negative feel to, to just be left alone to your own devices. And I realized that that's how I was raised and that's what I loved, you know, and as an adult, I still enjoy that. So to kind of, I guess, empathize and and understand that our kids need those exact same things was a really big shift for me. Yes, absolutely. There's two books that really changed my life in this space. One is called Free Range Kids Mm -hmm. and the other one is called The Last Child in the Woods. And they really, they cross over in a few areas and, but they're entirely different styles, but they were really reassuring to me when, when my children were, you know, under eight. And as I was really thinking about the pace that I was keeping with them and what was, what was I kind of trying to, to get for them and what was I taking away in creating this? And, and I, I just felt like they really changed my perspective mm. in a lot of ways. They're really good recommendations. I'll um, include a link to them in the show notes as well. Do you know, this has been such a, a fantastic conversation that I've enjoyed immensely. I'm sure I could talk to you for a lot longer about, <laughs> about this. But I just wanted to say thank you very much for you know spending the time to sit down and talk to us and um, and to share your thoughts on this because I, I know it's going to, to be helpful to a lot, a lot of people and not just parents. I think that's something that's really important to to note. I think whatever your household looks like, we could almost all uh, benefit from, you know, rethinking our relationship to technology. Absolutely. Thanks, Janelle. Thank you so much. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.